0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. If you have a Bible and you brought it today, uh, I'm glad you did. The older I get, the more old school I get, set in my ways, traditional. You realize the older you get, the more you don't care what people think about your opinions, right? Once you realize you're right, it doesn't matter what they think anyway. What's that have to do with anything? I'm still old school, I still like a real copy of God's Word in our hand. Not that you're less of a Christian, Not saying that, but there's just something about it. Of course, I can say that when I have a new one that the church gave me with Joe's help, and it smells good. And I love it, and I can read it. It's big enough I can read. (laughs) James chapter 1, before we stand and honor God's word and read it, I want us to uh, be reminded of. The book of James. Now, we studied the book of James on a Wednesday night here last year, went through the whole book. Many of you have been through the book of James in Sunday school or in some small group setting. Most believers have an affinity toward the book of James, mainly because James was written for all of us. It was written for believers, most Scholars, commentaries will say it's uh, one of the most practical Christian application books to read and study. And today, I want us to look at one of the most practical foundational truths in the life of a believer, and James starts in the very first of his letter covering that one category, trials, trials every person in this room has been through a trial. Now some of you have been on trial but that's a different topic altogether. (laughs) We'll read about that later. All of us in this room have been through a trial. Many of us in this room may be currently going through a trial and if you live another day or another decade or whatever God has in store for you, you will certainly, we will certainly experience trials. And James covers that. Practical book, first chapter, first few verses and that's where we're at today. So let's stand as we honor God's word together. If you're new here visiting, this church believes God's word is absolute truth. It is Good for doctrine, for correction, instruction, and all righteousness. We believe it's God breathed. We believe it's sufficient. Nothing more, nothing less. And we honor it. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Howdy. (laughs) Greeting. My brethren. And sister, believers, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Last week, we looked at Abraham and Isaac and that God came and the King's English says tempted him. We understand that means tested him. This is count it all joy uh, when you find yourselves in diverse or various trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives it liberally to all men, and upbraideth or withholdeth it not. Ask and it shall be given to him. But let that person, let that man, let that woman who's asking for wisdom, let them ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man, for let not that woman, for let not that believer think that they shall receive anything from God. I, I won't, I'm not going to preach a lot on that specific portion, so I got to say it here. Look at verse 7 again. We're in trials. We need wisdom. God will provide it when we ask in faith. But the person who doesn't ask in faith should not expect anything from God. That's a powerful verse. That answers a lot of questions in our life as a believer, if we're honest. Verse 8 For a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for your word. We believe it's true, we believe it's breathed by you. And it is good for our doctrine, for our teaching, for our foundational living. It's good for reproach and for reproof and for correction. And I pray today that as we read your word, we don't, won't just read it as something we've read a thousand times. Your Holy Spirit would teach us. And for that person who's been through a trial and has questions, that person who's going through a trial and has questions and concerns, and for those of us who... If we continue living, we'll go through a trial. May we find clarity in your word today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I've already said, James is a very foundational and practical book. From the gate, James makes it clear that all of us will experience trials. The last few weeks, my direction has been about the faith life, why faith is important. I'm not sure exactly why I said that last week. Maybe it's just for the pastor, but I believe there's a few of us who need to be encouraged in our life of faith. The Bible is clear that the just believers, justified, the sanctified, the just shall live by faith. I've got a lot of opinions of what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with the country, what's wrong with churches today. Many of them are partially true, I'm sure. Some are just that, opinions. But one opinion that I believe I have that's quite, that I'm quite confident about is one of the problems in the American church today is we've got a lot of professing believers who are not living by faith. Partly, it's not our fault. I'm going to defend us all. We, we live in a culture and society where it's prove it to me or I don't believe it. I believe, here comes the conspiracy, I believe, my conspiracy, by the way, is valid. My conspiracy is not just a conspiracy, I use it lightly. We have an enemy. The world has an enemy. The church has an enemy. He's been an enemy from the very beginning. You believe there's a devil, I believe he's real. I believe there's a Satan. I believe he has some forces that followed him and fell from heaven and they're on a rampage. And they didn't just wake up yesterday and decide to start causing havoc. This has been going on since the foundation. And they have a strategy. And I believe, I'm not going to call names, some of you would like that, but I believe there are people living today who are being, I, I won't say possessed, but I will, I will say they are being oppressed and persuaded by our enemy to create an environment of distrust we see it not just in distrust for our leadership. By the way, you, I mean, I I'll stop. <laughs> the devil don't have to help that much. <laughs> I mean, if you can read, you can figure that out. If you can see, you can figure that out. I'm saying, from the foundation, there's been a strategy, and it's all through Scripture. By the way, this is not just some I sat around and thought about this one day. From the very beginning. Satan's strategy has been a strategy of mistrust, creating doubt. In the garden, did God really say you shouldn't do this? Yeah, a couple verses back, God said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Doesn't seem like much question or doubt about that statement. But the devil shows up and says, is that really what he said? Certainly God wouldn't do that to you. God only knows that in the day you eat, your eyes will be open and you'll be like him. Do you hear the strategy of Satan? And today we live in an environment, and a society, and a culture, and it's permeating and permeated our educational system. Here he goes. Where we're training children not to trust anyone. And if I were to go a step up in my conspiracy... This is where it gets a little out of biblical terms. We may be training them to trust no one except the government. I'll leave that for y'all to talk about at lunch. But when we are trained, when we are conditioned to not trust, even as a believer, it influences and affects us. Because we live in the natural, we live in the world, we live in the flesh, but yet we are empowered by the Spirit and we're supposed to be directed by the Spirit. And we who are here in this world but not of this world are still affected by this world. And it affects our faith. And we are tempted, we are persuaded, we are, we lean toward trusting something other than God many times. Me and one other person feel that way. It's all right. The Bible makes it clear. The writer of Hebrews, where we've been bouncing around a couple of weeks, makes it clear what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen. In verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11, you don't have to turn there. We know it. But without faith, it's impossible. To please God. Every believer's desire is to please God. But you can't do it without faith. It's very practical. And this life we live is a life that must, must be rooted in faith. Not in the world, certainly not in our leadership, but in the Creator. James makes it very clear from the beginning and it's essential for every believer to understand. You've got to hear this to get the rest. This is not going to be something from NASA. This is not going to be mind-blowing. But this is an essential to a healthy, faithful Christian life. I'm going to read it right. The life of a believer involves trials, tests, and temptations. We didn't get saved and turn into super spirit. There's nobody we turned into. I almost said the Pope, but he's messed up, and he doesn't even know his own doctrine and theology, so that's how messed up we are. Don't, I've got to stop. I'll offend some Catholics. The Pope. The foundation doesn't believe what they say they believe. That's that's messed up. We at least depend on the Catholics to know what they're talking about. (laughs) Especially the leader. Just for because I know we're gonna get serious. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not. I'm not. It won't be. It won't be beneficial. It'll be. It's not. Stop it. It's essential to understand. If you're born again here today, trials exist, even in your life, even in my life. So I want us to look at three biblical principles concerning these trials. First of all, I want us to see the existence of trials. James says, from the beginning, there are trials, they do exist, and I want us to understand what a trial is because I believe it's essential to know that you will be affected by trials, and we have to define what a trial is. The word trial here is um, it's real simple. It's a very generic term, which tells us I'm going to go ahead and use the words. I'm glad God did a good job of explaining. He says various trials, diverse or divers. If you want to use that this week in a sentence, you'll look smart. I've been going through a lot of diverse situations in my life. But anyway, not diverse, but diverse. So the word there is colorful trials. It's a variety of trials. The word trial specifically is very generic, and it covers a multitude of different types of trials. The word itself means to prove to um, to put to proof is what the word trial means so when we understand that we understand that trials can be various they can look different but but the definition of a trial is to prove something so every trial in our life proves something is what James is saying this is very foundational no matter what the trial is in your life it will prove something good or bad positive or negative christian or non-christian it will prove something so we see that trials exist they they're out there it's going to happen and so when we think about the existence of trials, I want us to see two things: the the anticipation of trials and the attitude of trials. Now, this will this will it's not a good scholastic word. This will fix fix, I've been struggling. This will fix a lot of problems in the believer's life. This will answer a lot of questions. This is so elementary. This is so foundational. But I know I struggle with it. And I'm close to perfect, so I know you struggle with it. (laughs) Thanks, Johnny. (laughs) Depend on you. My brethren, believers. We'll skip that count it all joy part for now, because it's coming. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Notice the word when. When. It's not if you fall into, it's when you fall into. This will radically change a believer's life, whether it's a young believer or an age believer that missed or forgot this part. Trials should be anticipated. No one likes to be blindsided, right? I certainly don't. I'm I'm gonna tell y'all a little pet peeve of mine. I've been known to have a little temper, Occasionally, quick temper. But I got saved and it's all over. No, just, he's still working on me. Okay, there we go, we got it. So, but if there's one thing that just fires me up, and if you hate me, take notes. This is how you can do it. Is when you catch me off guard or you set me up. Oh, and I know I'm the only perfect one in here that doesn't like that. No, we all want to, I mean, we got our head on a swivel, and if something's coming, somebody better tell me. I mean, I got people set up in here to tell me when a certain person's coming my way. That's a joke. Some of you are like, that's hilarious. I'm like, really? Is it me? I don't know. So, <laughs> hold on. I mean, we take a, we got signals. All right. I thought he was going that way, but all of a sudden he went that way. Uh, yeah, now you know why. As a believer, it fixes a lot of issues. When we come out of the gate knowing, anticipating, we are headed for a trial. It's not like, whoa, 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 that got me. Wasn't expecting a trial. I'm a believer, I'm one of his. I didn't think that should happen to me. No, no. When you fall into diverse trials, when you fall into various trials and tests, it will happen. Do not, do not, as much as you love him, do not listen to some of them who tell you, it's all gonna be all right. Smooth sailing from here. If you going into, see, there's a, there's a messed up philosophy and theology if you go into this Christian life thinking it's all good from here. By the way, it is all good, but you know what I mean. That a smooth sailing from here. When, when the ship starts rocking, you'll have a different opinion of God. And you'll start to question God. Why did, Does he not know I'm one of his? And we'll have a failed view of God if in our Christian life, We don't go into it knowing trials are coming. We should anticipate trials. I can't for the life of me understand how some people can fill up a room with 75,000 people and preach a false gospel when the people sitting out there know they're going through trials. But they do. Maybe, maybe it's because he's pretty or tells funny stories or good stories. I don't know. But the whole thing is built on a lie. The prosperity gospel is not just led by him, by the way. It's, led, it's, it's being followed by a lot of people. and The prosperity gospel, is, it used to be some flashy new toy, but now it's become a theology to a lot of people. Nobody wants to hear you're going through a trial. Nobody wants to say, hey, get ready, it's coming. But for some reason, God thought it was necessary for us to know that they're inevitable. One of the foundational problems for all of us, and I'm, I'm included in this, by the way, I'd like to sit on the front row and preach this if, you, if it would make you feel better it look a little awkward. You probably would talk more or text more or something if I did that. But we're all in this together. Job is overused many times. But in a sense, he's underused as an example. I'm not here to preach the book of Job, but he's a perfect example of how antithetical to the truth some prosperity gospels are, or the prosperity gospel. Let's throw them all in together. Job was acknowledged by God as a perfect man, complete, mature. In in Job chapter 1, the Bible says that where he was from, His name was Job, and that he was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. He stayed away from evil. Sounds like a pretty good Christian. And then in verse eight, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered Job? None like him on the earth. Perfect man, upright, fears God and eschews evil. But we see Job experience trials that none of us would want to wish on our worst enemy. But he's an upright guy. We get it back and forth, and I've heard it. Well, why did the, did the devil do this, or why did that? Here's the point. When we think of various colorful generic trials, this falls into the category. We don't have to know why. We don't have to know uh, God's thoughts for doing it. We don't have to understand uh, The the rationale behind Satan, people get caught up in Job like, is the devil like walking around looking for people? Maybe, I don't know. But the reality is the truth that affects all of us is trials are certain. And you can be a good Christian, a mature Christian, a fearing God Christian, and go through a trial. We know what happened to Job, some of us. And, and I got to throw this in. There's, we've heard people, some of us, I've been through the trials of Job. What? That's a pretty harsh statement. Now, let's just say we've been through trials. Amen, brother. Amen, sister. We've been through trials. I've been through the trials of Job. Well, I'm sorry if you have, because that's terrible. But why not? I mean, if we're going to be honest, why not? Why not me? I don't know many people that have actually been through the same trials, lost their family, lost all their cows, lost all their houses, lost everything, and they're under a tree scratching boils with clay shards. Now, if you're you're here, now's the time to step forward, and we'll use you as the example next time I preach this. (laughs) Here's the reality, and I'm trying not to be mean about that. The reality is we've all been through trials, period. I'm going to go somewhere with this. If we were to have a testimony service, which everybody cringes when that happens sometimes, but it makes us who we are. I'm going to cut to the chase. We could all stand up and say, man, I've been through a trial. On this side of the room, this side, this side. But, oh, four people been through trials. No, stop, time out. I'd say stop. Listen, we all could stand up now and say we've been through a trial or we're going through a trial or we can all stand up and say we're going to go through a trial. So we can, we can simplify that and nobody ever stand up and say we're going through a trial again. That sounds so mean. No, what I'm saying is, we all collectively look around and say we're all going through trials. We've all been through trials. We're all going to go through trials. So let's pray for each other. Let's just cut that one out. And now, when we have testimonies, let's talk about Jesus. And that's not mean. That's so mean. I mean people would like to hear these stories about their deep, dark secrets, and uh, yeah, that's not what testimony services are. We're not about to have a testimony service. Some of you are worried, like, is he going to do something? Else? No. I'm just saying, and I'm not being um, insensitive to it. I hope you're hearing the truth that I'm saying is that we're all there. We're not supposed to get, well, my trial's worse than yours. I hope I get a worse one next time because that was a pretty good testimony. <laughs> no. No. We just all say we've been there. So let's pray for them here's what I could do Uh, I could say I'm gonna pray for Eric and I'm praying God minister to him give him wisdom discernment because certainly he's going through something and I wasn't psychic and got that right I was biblical and we ought to be doing that for each other Because we know we're all going through trials. Some of them are just more public than others. Some of them, their names are on our prayer sheet, and we know they're going through something. But all of us are there. And when we anticipate trials, it eliminates that potential surprise, that blindsiding from our life. And that might not mean much to you, But as a pastor of a church where we take attendance on Sundays and look around, it matters. Because the number of people that hit a trial and quit on God or fall out of church, it tells me this, they didn't go into this knowing and expecting it was going to happen. It tells me more, but I'll just be nice and say that. We're all in this together. We ought to anticipate trials. Job goes through all of his trials. Oh, look at his response in verse 21 of Job 1. And it, this, is, this is the conclusion without getting there yet. Job says, after all he's lost, naked I came into the world, and naked I'll leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Don't, don't get too excited about that because we're going to come back to that. Something was different about Job. Job. And God tells us from the beginning what was different about Job. He was a righteous, perfect, mature, faithful, God-fearing guy. But he suffered trials. And he responded differently. Anticipation of trials leads us to the attitude of trials, which is exactly what we see in Job. He says, count it all joy, verse 2, when you fall into diverse temptations. I'll make this simple on all of us. He does not say count it joy because of trials. That's a sick person that gets excited for a trial. Yay, bad news, I love it. There's things that we can't help right now in the next 20 minutes for that person. But he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, not because you fall in. He's talking about the attitude of a person who is going through trials. Now, if we're very clear, it's not, oh, yeah, this is fun. Bring it on, God. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about the attitude, our spirit, our soul, how we are when we go through a trial. And that word joy is not really, you know, streamers and balloons. The word joy there, and I love this word. You got you to hold on to this word. The word "their joy, is calm, it's peace. And I'm just gonna be honest with you, because I try to do that, at least when I'm preaching. When we go through a trial, it's hard for our outside to look calm and at peace, because we're still flesh, we're still physical, we still struggle. But he says, consider it joy, consider it calm consider it delight when you suffer or you go through fall through these various trials these various tests a believer can and should experience calm even in the midst of a trial i'm not saying we're walking around like robots and have no expression i think you know that i think you know me better than that i'm not saying you get bad news By the way, bad news can be a trial. A diagnosis can be a trial. A blown tire can be a trial. There's a difference in a blown tire being a trial than a curse by God. I need to sit there for a little while. I did not say God blew out your tire. But I can assure you, as a believer with flesh, If my tire blows, it's a trial. What's the definition of trial? It's going to prove something. Right? Y'all with me? First thing it's going to prove is to see if I'm ready for NASCAR. (laughs) I'm going to be changing that thing as fast as I I I might not. It's going to prove whether I can hold my tongue. If you were at Brotherhood yesterday, you can appreciate that a little more. It's going to prove how well, if my wife's with me, our marriage is going. (laughs) If the kids are in the car, it's going to prove how much I really love them or not. In all seriousness, my response is going to prove something. Something. The reality is we're going to go through more trials than a blown tire. And I know it, let's, just, let's not point to anybody or look their direction. But some of us can have a blown tire and next time you hear them, oh, I've had the trials of Job, my tire blew out. There's worse things that could happen. Now, there's bad timing for a tire to blow. Where's worse timing for a tire to blow, right? Okay, we're together. But a believer can have and should experience calm. Why? Calm comes from, in my opinion, three biblical realities. God is sovereign, trials are certain, and it's just a season. It's temporary. I didn't read that in the book, by the way. If you want to take that and run with it, go with it. Why can I have peace? Why can I be calm in this? Not saying, some of you are looking at me, not saying I always am, but why can I? Because then I'm going through this, and, and my thought is, God, you're sovereign. This didn't catch you by surprise. You're in control. And you told me in your word that trials would happen. So that doesn't surprise me. And I know this won't last forever. Anybody ever been through something, you thought this is the worst thing ever in your life, and now 20 years later you look back and you're having a tough time remembering all the details of it? Some of you are not old enough to do that yet, but it'll happen. Like you look back and you're like, you, you were just so stupid. You were such an immature little Christian. And you, you fuss at your old self. You're like, I can't believe that. You were just a bad boy. I can't believe. I don't even want to know who you are. But at the time, it was the worst thing that could ever happen in your life. This is what happens in the life of a believer. We see this anticipation of trials and the attitude in which we respond to trials and this joy, this peace, this calmness is um, eschatological in nature. That's eschatology, it's end times. The reason we can have calm and peace during trials or tests is because we know the future We know they're temporary. We know that what we're going through now can't begin to compare to the joy we will one day have. Trials exist, and trials bring effects. There are things that happen when we go through trials. In verse three and four, we see the effects of trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect, entire wanting nothing. There are three effects of trials, and if you'll listen fast, I'll go through this and get to the third point. One thing that happens, one result of trials is patience. If we're honest, and we know people, and we listen to people, and we observe people, believers, we can tell how many trials, not to a number, they've been through. Think about it. If the word of God is true, and I believe it is, or I wouldn't be here, I'd be doing something else today. If the word of God is true, then we know that trials produce patience. The word for patience is endurance. They're still going. They're still going. He's still going. She's still going. And it usually comes with age. Because the older you are, the more trials you've had. And the more trials you've completed, tests you've completed, which, if the Bible is true, means you've got more endurance and more patience. And you can tell the people in your life and in the church life who have experienced trials and have seen and experienced the results of those trials. And they've got patience, they have endurance. We also see the word perfection there. Not only patience, but perfection. Of course we know that doesn't mean perfect. The word perfection there means maturity. It's a word for completion. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire. Remember, trials by definition is something that puts to proof. It proves something. When you see a person... Who is mature spiritually? It's proof that trials produce spiritual maturity. It produces completion. The maturity of a believer can be measured by how they respond to trials. I had a hard time getting that out. That was so convicting. It's not my opinion, it's biblical. How spiritually mature a person is can be measured by how they respond to trials. Endurance, that's the word. I'm not surprised it happened, and I've been here before. There's a lot of good athletic examples to get to endurance, but I'm at my heaviest fighting weight right now, so I'm not going to talk about exercise. How do you build endurance? You keep doing something. You keep going through what you're going to eventually go through. I hate to run. I don't know why anybody would want to run. Unless it involved a reason to run. I like to say I can't run because it hurts my back. And it does, but the reality is I don't want to run if I had the healthiest back in town. But if I were to say I'm going to run a 5K next week, you would probably laugh, and you should. I mean, I'm covering a lot up, but it's not there. It's not happening. I could not run a 5K. I could finish a 5K, but I couldn't run a 5K. But if I wanted to, which in full disclosure, I don't, I would have to start practicing. And practicing, unlike racing, you can't just get on the simulator and simulate running. (laughs) I would have to actually start running. But I wouldn't go out and start the 3.2 miles, 5K. I wouldn't do that. See, I'm smart, I just can't do it. So anyway, I would have to start running a little bit, incrementally. Which, in case anybody's confused at this point, I don't want to, and I'm not. But if I wanted to, I'd have to do it incrementally and build up what? Endurance. So that I don't get laughed at for not finishing it at the fundraiser 5K. I like fundraiser 5K. You can just write a check. You don't have to run. They don't care if you run anyway. They just want the money. And for some reason, that's becoming a thing. Running fundraisers. I guess there's enough crazy people in the world to do it, but I don't think they run. I think, I think they run, they don't get money. They just want a trophy. In the same way trials, we build up endurance by going through trials. Trials also affect us in our perspective, not just make us perfect, complete, make us patient, endurance. They change our perspective Look at the end of verse four, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire. Oh, notice those last two words. Wanting nothing. Wanting nothing. If we just sit for about 30 to 45 seconds and think about wanting nothing, I think that would be a message in itself. Trials lead to the point in our life where we want nothing. It's about perspective. It's about contentment. Getting to the place to where I'm good. I'm good. I don't need anything. Just in case anybody's confused, I'm not there. I need a lot. But it's, spiritually, it's like, I'm good, I'm good. And you, we know those people, let's be, let's be honest for a second, we know those people who have struggled and we know trials they've been through and they're, I'm good, I'm good. And they really are. I'm not talking about they're faking it and you're like, well, let's get to the bottom of this, you're just, you're saying that, but I think somewhere deep down, you're possessed. I do you're, you're good, I'm good, I'm content. I was expecting this trial, I've been through trials before, I build up endurance to trials, and spiritually, I'm good. I don't need anything. I'm good. We know those people. There are few and far between, but we do know those people, and that's the, that's the ultimate conclusion, response, effects of trials in our life, and the reality is if you're not there yet, then you'll get there. If I'm not there yet, I'll get there. Because that's the purpose of a trial. It's to prove something. I think about that often. I think about Paul and Paul in Philippians 4.11 says, I've learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Just in case, he's not talking about North Carolina or South Carolina, whatever. In whatever state I am to be content. Content. Where is Paul writing this letter from? Prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel, for following Jesus. And he writes, Wherever I'm at, whatever, where, whatever happens to me, I've learned to be content. I think he put his money where his mouth was when he wrote Philippians. Any minute. And he had been through trials. And he was going through a trial. And he was able to say, I'm content. Because he writes in that passage, by the way, the context of it is he's talking about some necessities in life, and he says, not that I need anything. He said, I'm not writing this letter to tell you to send me something. He said, I'm just saying there's need, there are needs, but in whatever state I am, I've, I've learned to be content. We understand we're gonna go through trials. We understand trials produce effects. The last thing I want us to look at is the essentials, the necessities of trials. We are gonna go through trials, everybody still with me if you believe that say amen Amen. all right that sounds good but if we're going to go through trials we need some help this is what the word of God says and thank God he didn't say hey trials are coming good luck with that (laughs) see how you can figure this one out that's not how God operates says they're coming be ready for them and I got the help you need first thing we see is wisdom wisdom is essential oh how many words and how many books and how many sermons have been preached and taught about wisdom how many conversations well what is wisdom it's not that's not what we're here for i will tell you Proverbs nine says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom knowledge of the holy is understanding if any of you lack wisdom you got to hear this and i'm I'm running down on time but you got to hear this Verse number five is very clear that wisdom is essential for trials. He doesn't say, notice how he writes. He goes from verse four and, and, but let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, it's not as if it's an option. The writing is if it's understood For this trial, the believer must have wisdom. Okay, here comes a trial. Would you like it with or without wisdom? (laughs) Not how this works. It's here comes a trial. Wisdom is available. Ask for it. This is what he's saying. Without overcomplicating it. This is real simple. The word wisdom here is a word for clarity. Clarity. Clear. Clear. You're going to go through a trial. I'm going to go through a trial. If we're going to make it through this trial to the other side, growing the way we should, with endurance the way God expects, to be more complete the way he wants, then you're going to need his wisdom. You're going to need, everybody listening, his clarity. And he's got a whole bucket full of it. And he wants you to ask for it. You need to ask for it. If any of you lack wisdom, now I I dug into that myself and I haven't got it fleshed out, but I think it may mean you still got some leftover wisdom from a previous trial. You just went through one and you asked him and you got a lot. You got some leftover maybe. I don't know if that's what it means. Somebody can figure that out. But he said if you're lacking wisdom, which means you could have already had some, ask. Ask ask. Ask for what? Wisdom. What's wisdom? Clarity. This is important. Please hear it. When we go through a trial, it's our nature. I'm going to talk to just the pastor right now. It's my nature to figure it out just like everything else in my life. I'm going to figure it out. You don't need to figure it out. I'm going to. The clarity is not to figure it out. The wisdom is not to say, Why is God doing this to me? Because He might not be. Why is God allowing this? That's not the clarity we need. The clarity we ask for, the wisdom we ask for, is how to respond to it. It's not to know the reason, it's to help us with the response we can go through a trial and we'll spend our two weeks trying to figure out how it happened and why it happened and what God's doing. And the the answer is I need wisdom to know how to respond to this. Why? Because a trial proves something. Every man, every woman in this room who's been through a trial, when you came out the other side, you proved something to somebody. And you needed the wisdom, the clarity of God to know how to respond to prove something that was beneficial to you and to someone else. Amen. Yeah. I've been in church most of my life and I say this often and I mean it. I've seen people go through trials. I've seen good people sick. We've talked about losing people in church as like God, you know, I, I, to be honest, I don't think I've ever asked that question. I've messed up a lot, of, but I don't ever, God, why this person? I've never done that. I got other issues that I deal with, but I've never done that. But we ask, maybe we say it, or maybe we just think it. Why would, why would, it's, it's not that, it's the response. And we've seen people go through cancer. Good people, good Christian people. And we've seen them stand strong and stand true, and we've seen their response to the trial. And it was a positive response that helped somebody. And I'm going to promise you, if that person did it, they didn't do it in their own flesh and in their own strength. They did it from asking God for wisdom to prove something positive to help somebody else out. You got to have wisdom, you got to have clarity. And he says, just ask it. If you ask it, he'll give liberally, he won't withhold it. I'd be quite foolish if I didn't say right here, if you're going through a trial, only you know about it, and you're struggling, it's not a question of do you need it. The question is, you, the answer is you need his clarity. You need his wisdom. You need wisdom to make it through. And to pass the test. The reality is, a lot of people are looking for answers, and they're looking in all the wrong places. People look for the wisdom of man when we have access to the wisdom of God. Nothing wrong with a good book, nothing wrong with a good speaker, a good counselor. But a believer has the answer. And we've got a God who is liberal in his wisdom. And he will not withhold it. That's what the word of God says. If you ask, he will not withhold it. He'll give it. But, oh, there's the catch. You have to ask in faith. Believing. Faith. But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. I really could preach now for 30 minutes on this last verse, but you're done, I can tell. (laughs) It's been built up. You're a believer, you're going to have trials. If you haven't got that far yet, we need to start over. You're gonna have trials. It's gonna happen. Trials will prove something. And in these trials, you need God's help. I need God's help. I need God's wisdom. I need God's clarity. And God is sitting up on his throne saying, hey, I've got an abundant supply of what you need to make it through this trial. Just ask. And ask in faith. That sounds so obvious. It sounds so obvious. But we have not because we ask not. And sometimes we ask for the wrong reasons. That's biblical. Jesus said it. And I'm not here to throw arrows and darts and poke holes in your faith because we're in this together. But it sounds quite logical that, well, when I ask anything from God, certainly I'm asking in faith. And that's just simply not true. I'm not here to preach that right now, but we could, and you can study on your own. There's a lot of people who have asked from God and not gotten anything because they didn't ask in faith. And all of a sudden, people get nervous. Where's he going with this? I'm not going to be handing out any oil later or prayer cloths. But the Bible is clear that many times we don't receive because we didn't ask in faith. How is that possible? I've got an answer. You can like it. You can throw it away, discard it, whatever. I think sometimes we ask religiously. Well, let's pray about it. Uh And I, 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 sound, I sound so mean when I talk about this but I've heard, I've heard people pray sometimes and I felt like I didn't know their spiritual condition but I thought that was the most phony prayer I've ever heard in my life please don't misunderstand me but when you get in the place where you need something from God you're not concerned about how it sounds and you know and I know when to quietness of your heart, when you're praying and begging God for something, you don't care how eloquent and what kind of big words you use. You're just asking him. And you're probably going to speak the fewest words you've ever spoken in a prayer. Unlike, well, let's pray. And you take on this new accent and you start trilling your R's as if you're Irish or Spanish. Y'all with me? But when we pray believing and pray in faith, faith, nothing wavering, then we can expect God to supply us with the clarity and wisdom we need. Does this sound familiar? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to get anything from God. He says it very clearly don't let that man expect to get anything from me. What man? The man or woman of no faith. Faith, believing, expecting. The word faith there is conviction. I am convinced that God can and will do this. Amen. Yes. That's the prayer for the trial we're going through. The trial we're going to go through. I believe religiously we sometimes turn to God But we don't turn to him in faith. We got to be careful. I'm not trying to talk you out of some prayer life. I'm not. I'm not. But we're very religious. Y'all with me? I know what time it is. Just hit twelve. We're very religious. American church is very liturgical in its own ways. Well, have you prayed about it? Yeah. You prayed believing. Ah. You pray in faith? Maybe. Would you stand with me? Before we sing and are dismissed, I want us to spend some time with God in prayer. Where you're at, at an altar. I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon at all. I Certainly haven't preached a sermon as a pastor knowing that somebody's going through something and saying that's what I'm gonna hit next week. Never done that. Don't ever plan to do that. But this is one of those where I know, based on the word of God, we've been there, we're there, we're gonna be there. I'll be there as a pastor if you get hit with a trial and you weren't expecting it. We'll still minister. Our staff will still minister. We'll still love. We'll still pray and all that. But we can can eliminate that surprise factor knowing that it's going to happen, expecting trials to happen. I haven't touched on this, but I can assure you on good conscience and on the Word of God and just good common sense, when Jesus, as Jesus continues to tarry, we as believers will face more and more trials than we've ever faced before and I promise you we're going to need God's wisdom and clarity to deal with it because our response will prove something to somebody would you pray maybe you're in a trial and you haven't asked for wisdom now's a good time pray for each other We know we're all going through something. Father, we're grateful for the truth that you didn't leave us hopeless, you didn't leave us comfortless, and you didn't leave us resourceless. You've made it clear that we're going to need your help. I pray for each of us that when we find ourselves in need, if we're finding ourselves in need, we will understand that you've told us to come boldly before your throne of grace. and We can call on you and ask in faith, believing that you have a supply of wisdom and clarity and that you are willing to give it to us You won't withhold it. I pray for the person, the man, woman, parent, going through something now that your word has helped them today. And I pray that as we go into the future, tomorrow, as we find ourselves going through tests, that we won't neglect and fail to remember your word. That we'll trust in you. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbccannapolis.com.